0: Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh.
1: I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. This is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides along the journey to RPG adventures.
2: We are all D&D role players and storytellers at heart. It's where we started out, and it's where we find ourselves most at home. So here in our main podcast episodes, we discuss the core rules, how to use them as written, and how to homebrew your own content to get the most out of your story. Because detailed settings, heroic characters... Vibrant NPCs and a focus on story over rules is what makes a campaign legendary.
0: Here's a message from friends of the show.
2: What up, Nerd Nation? Steve here from the Dads with Nerdy Ambitions Podcast, or DNA
0: for short, your go-to podcast for all things nerd culture. You want to know fun facts about the latest movies? Done. Interested in a new hobby? We've got you. Have questions and want to hear from the experts? Say no more. Join me and my crew every week to hear about our latest takes on everything nerdy
2: and go on a few tangents on the Dads with Nerdy Ambitions podcast. For we know it's not just a hobby, it's hereditary.
0: Welcome everybody to today's episode. Uh, I am once again joined for our first episode of uh, 2022 by my erstwhile hosts Lee Wanika and Glenn. Gentlemen, how are things down in Connecticut this fine evening?
1: Hello to the future 2022. I hope everybody uh, had a magnificent holiday season and a fantastic uh, New Year's. Obviously, we deal with a lot. I'm hitting this year with the goal to have much more fun than I ever had in 2021 Mm -hmm. and enjoy it that much more.
0: Yep. I mean, we had a boatload of fun here on the podcast in 2021. Some absolutely ridiculous shenanigans this past year, but yeah, totally agree. Even more fun would be totally in line uh, with my goals for 2022. How about you, Glenn? How are you doing?
2: Well, I think uh, those goals make total sense. I mean, 2021 was effectively our first year as a podcast, and we had a great yeah. time. We've done a lot. We've learned a lot. Learned a um, lot. <laughs> so as we're moving into 2022, I wouldn't expect yeah. anything but greater and greater things. So it should be a good yep. time. Yep. Uh, but in terms of how things are in Connecticut, dark. That's pretty much it. it's dark out there. Yeah.
0: It's dark out. I mean, it is nine o'clock on uh, on the day after the solstice when we're recording this. So yeah, we are. We may no longer in be in the longest night of the year, but we are within a mere twenty four hours of the longest night of the year. So
1: it's about as dark at nine o'clock at night as it's ever going to be in the course of a year.
0: Yep, exactly. Yep. Uh, winter. And, yeah, and ah, I, winter. I know, right? And you guys get this less done in Connecticut, but that's the thing that always like confounds me about Maine is like. It is dark at four o'clock in the afternoon in the height of winter, and then dur- during the summer in like July, it'll be like 9, 9.15 before the sun really starts to even think about going down. It is crazy the time swings that we get up here from season to season. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're not, not talking about the seasons, we're not talking about the weather. No, today on our first episode of 2022, we are rewinding our clock a little bit back to December of 2021. And we have a couple of episodes coming to you here about the, at this point, the latest and greatest book by Wizards of the Coast. *A Greatest? Strict save <laughs> Okay, the latest. But spo- <laughs> spoiler alert oh, about what we thought about the book. <laughs> oh, I can uh, tie the weather in
2: because in the Biblioplex, some of the chambers and stacks are high, the, are tall enough to have their own weather systems.
0: Stupid. Sorry, yeah. uh, I mean. Um,
2: sorry, hey, it's I a tied, library. The it's end. a
0: library. You don't want weather and moats in a library. But that's anyway. All that to go ahead and say we are talking tonight about. Strixhaven, A Curriculum of Chaos, and we're going to talk tonight about the non-quest portions of the book. We're going to talk about chapters 1, chapter 2, and chapter 7, which are the kind of the, the introduction and the player options about the book, and then we're going to get into the friends and foes chapter of the book at the very end. And then next week, we will talk unusually for us here on the podcast, we're going to talk about the material that's in the book normally we don't talk about the quest material when a playbook comes out mostly because we plan on using that quest material in either one of our actual plays or whatever like that but this time around i feel pretty safe in saying that we're not going to be using any of this quest material in any of our actual plays so we're going to actually talk about the quest material itself and we'll be talking about that next week
1: and i I would also add that's part of the reason why we're delaying our coverage of this book we're going to allow people that are going to use that quest material to really get a chance to do so.
2: So y'all didn't dip into the beginning of chapter three. I dipped into the beginning of chapter three, because I had to know about extracurriculars and the job thing. I had to understand how that student life piece was going to come together that they kept mm. talking about, but didn't give me in the character options part. And it didn't spoil, it didn't actually start into any of the adventure, but the first part of that first book, and I needed to know what the relationships thing yeah. was. So, so we're, I, we're not talking about that tonight. I,
0: Oh, well. I, I I did not. I was good and kept to the assignment like a good like a good College of hold Order, Mage, would. Uh, I stuck to the terms of the assignment exactly as they were laid out. But I will say, Glenn, that I absolutely understand your pain and feel it to my core because that is one of my big criticisms of the first two chapters of the book is how many times they referred to the fact that it would make some allusion to something and they say, you get to go ahead and learn more about this You're in chapter more about that later. In the middle of the yeah.
2: quest. It's yeah. like, no. Why do you no, write no, a chapter where the whole chapter just says you'll learn more about this later?
0: Exactly. I think that there is, I think that the first, ch- that the introduction and the first two chapters of this book are fluffy. They are repetitive. There are some cool things, and we're going to dive into those. Cool there are definitely some cool things, but. I, I think that when they took out when they took out the classes right when they took out those five classes and took out that structure to go ahead and build some really cool lore and everything like that, I think that they, when they had to go back to the drawing board on that, it feels like they scrambled a little bit. It much feels like a
2: scramble. It should have, it yeah. should not have, in my opinion, been released yet. When they had to go back to the drawing board, they needed yeah. to add more time to this project. It was not that. was ready.
0: a major piece, and I think that its absence in this book is keenly felt. Lew and Nico, what, what are your thoughts on, on overview on kind of the first couple chapters here? Are, are Glenn and I totally off base here, or, or what do you think?
1: You're more on base than two people should be on base, and, uh, and, and I'm going to jump in, so the three of us are going to be on base. When we talk about Fizbin, a book that had moments of brilliance, significant and notable challenges, but moments of brilliance, the one thing that I keyed in on that book that really kept me in the whole way was it opened strong. Yeah. The allergy in the Fizben's book was mm. absolutely brilliant so brilliant that I'm saying this because I like to, to talk about positive things before I talk about negatives and challenges.
2: But you had to go to and another when I book opened for that. this
1: book. I had to go back to the last book to get a, a strong opening. It was really dry. This took me back to where I was before I read Fizbins, because if everybody listened to that, I said before I read Fizbins, I was never a person who opened up a d and book and read cover to cover. I always opened it up, went to the chapter I was most interested in, got the details and moved on. The allergy opened my eyes to the fact that these could just be good reads and it was worth reading cover to cover and really getting a feel for what the author had to say. This is the kind of book that brings me back to, I should have just opened a chapter two, skipped the opening. I probably would have been less frustrated. It just was really dry. It didn't do a lot for me. And the shame is. Of the three of us, I'm the one who had the most hope for this book. Like, I really like the concept of a a college, a university, younger people becoming adventurers.
2: Oh, no, I love that, too. I'm right there with you. So I I think we're on the same level with that. I, I was really looking forward to this book, and that might be part of my disappointment. Yeah,
0: I was not necessarily on the looking forward to this book train, and I'm disappointed by this book. So that's – I really thought that this was a missed opportunity. I thought that but there was – some of it's still cool. Some of it's still cool, and I, we're being really down – for the first 10 minutes of this episode, I know, we're really down on this book. And I think that it it is to reiterate something that we said in Fizbins, right, and in The Wild Beyond the Witchlight, right? The last three books that have come out, we've said the same thing. There's some really cool things – there are some things that we really like. There's some things that aren't great. This book could have been so much more. This book could have been so much more refined. And yep. I we haven't read the quest material yet. I know Glenn, you've read some of it. I have not looked at any of the quest material yet. And so maybe that is what is going to pull all of these pieces together and make maybe. them some sort of a cohesive jello that will be delicious after dinner. I, always I'm delicious. not. Jello is always delicious. I'm not sure that there's jello in this book. I'm totally with you, Louinika. And even like it, it is super dry. I will say that the introduction did have one really cool thing about it, and that was the mention of the archaics and the oracle. I really thought yeah. that was a really neat bit of lore about how a college of magic can work and how it can have this sense of timelessness and how it can reach its tendrils through the planes and through the time and everything like that. I thought that was a really nifty mechanic. The continuity of the archaics and the oracle I thought were really cool. And we get more about the oracle in chapter 7 when we talk about the friends and foes. And I think that's a cool bit of lore that they line up too with uh, with the, the current oracle and the and the oric and their feud with one another. I think that's cool. So, But I think that's pretty much, like, as far as the introduction goes, that was oh, the, the only part of this introduction chapter that was...
1: I really liked the Oracle piece in this introduction. I thought it was something that was very interesting. It was something that I hadn't specifically heard or read or co- seen before that I could envision uh, utilizing in my games and games I run. So I liked the concept. I would not use it page to page, however. It's more of an adaptation. Like I like the concept. I might even use the stat block, but describe things slightly differently that, that kind of adaptation. So it was inspirational in that way. It was one of the things that I would definitely mark in the, Hey, that was pretty neat. That was pretty cool. It gave me ideas. That's always a good thing in a source book.
2: (sighs) Here's the thing. I really like the lore about the Oracle and the archaics In that it intrigued me and it excited me and it made me want to know more about it. And the more is not there. The more is just not, unless it's in the quest material, it doesn't exist. All right. We're talking about the core lore that ties to what I think is the leader of the college, because the Oracle of Strixhaven, I'm quoting, the Oracle of Strixhaven is the wisest and most accomplished mage in the world of Arcavios, which is the world of Strixhaven's college right yeah it doesn't say it's the leader of the college it implies it but it doesn't say it right so if he's the strongest mage in the college then is that really in the world leaves me a little bit funny then you got the founder dragons and they select him all right so they hold an election there's no information on how that process works and there's got to be some kind of deep mystical qualification or ritual that would be involved that i was looking for because when they create the archaics, they're basically saying that the Oracle of Strixhaven, which is effectively elected by five dragons, just by being elected the Oracle, now his soul is bound back to the beginning of time and the creation of the universe to become an archaic. Right. Which is super neat. Yeah. But and, there's no and meat. super there's, so, no, there's no meat to go with those potatoes. So yeah, I else.
1: don't think that's where and I get where you're going with that, but I differ with you on that, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a little sand in your face on this one, so w- roll with me on this. I seem to recall a show that I watched that somebody suggested I, I watch, and I didn't watch, but I watched its off. When you get to the latter seasons, they bring out the big bads, right? The Wolfman and mm-hmm. Hearts. They don't explain them at all. They are this nebulous big bad. You fight their lieutenants, you fight their agents, you fight their machinations, but you never exactly fight them. The show got cut off before they really got to address that. They actually just dropped that all together at a certain point. Blah, blah, blah. But the fact is, you don't need to know that. If you're talking ancient dragons of epic scale, selecting a, a supreme power beyond that of player characters... To run an organization that is effectively timeless, limitless in scope, in planar existence, and all of those things, you're never going to get a satisfying, you mean they drew straws? No one wants the Iowa straw count, right? So I think leaving it nebulous, they select, it's their choice, gives each individual storyteller telling the story the way that works best for their players, their table, or to just leave it as a mystery. I think nobody should know that unless they're on that level. And I don't think player characters, certainly not ones by level 10, are on that level to get that information, which is why it's not there. This book is designed to get people to level 10. Why would level 10 know what some ancient dragon who selects an oracle of this nature do? Why Why would they need to know
2: that? Because you just brought up my biggest beef with the book that I was going to save for later. But let's just talk about it now. So you just said it's designed to get you from level one to level eight. But it's not. This is not listed as a campaign book. This is listed as a source book. This is supposed to be a campaign source book.
1: But I think that changed. And I think that is a uh, I think that's a bit of a failing. It so that's it what I'm saying. That's my I biggest want.
2: beef. It's listed it, as a source book, but it does not give me enough information to run this as a world. I haven't read the adventures yet, but to have the last, oh, I don't know, have have more than half the book be dedicated to a campaign, not a campaign setting, but the actual adventure as though I was getting Dungeon of the Mad Mage, say, yep, that takes away from the ability to develop the setting. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying here. There should be more information. I said, I used the words, what do they do, hold an election, just because there's no information, but what I meant was, you're you're giving me a setting, but you're giving me the core mythos that ties back to the beginning of time, and I've got three paragraphs with almost no information. That was my main beef. There's just, if it's going to be a setting book, it needed to be
1: a setting book. But I think when they dumped the character subclasses, they changed their track. This yeah. stopped being a setting book at that it point, a- except for they never built it as a setting book after that. They never said our latest setting book that I know of. Everything I heard that's true. was...
2: And D&D and Beyond is the one that's choosing to categorize it that way, but they originally introduced yes. it as a setting book. They re- How could it not be a setting book? Is there any other book that gives me details on the setting and the ability to run in the setting of the College of Strixhaven. It's a a
0: port from a Magic the Gathering world. It has to, by nature, be a source book.
1: Yeah. But the difference is, they stopped that. Like, when Theros came out, when Ravnica came out, they kept in all the rest of the character-building stuff, so it remained a straightforward source book. When they took all that stuff out, and I don't know if there was originally a plan to have an adventure path in there or not, but when it became... Severely cut back. This is no different than uh, Wild by Witchlight in that regard. That's it's an right. adventure path with a couple character options. Yep. Period. Yep. I think it got categorized the way it was originally built before the changes. And if we want to be, I don't think honest with us is the correct term, but if we want to think about it in our right head, I stopped thinking about it as a source book long ago. I didn't wait for it to be in front of my face before I realized this is not a good source book. I knew it wasn't going to be a source book back then. And in fact, when it became clear that it was going to be an adventure path, I just said, I hope out of this adventure path, I get some cool stuff. While Witchlight gave me a lot of cool stuff in addition to a campaign that we have players going through, which is great. and And I was impressed by that. And the stuff they gave are all things that I will use. Yeah. The difference here is, or the question here
0: is, how much of this will I use? I think that's a fantastic bridge into chapter one, which really gets into the life at Strixhaven stuff. And man, you know... You are scratching on exactly what my takeaway from this chapter is. I mean, I'm looking right at the sticky note that I've got here underneath the principles and polarity section, and it verbatim says, how useful is this beyond this campaign? I think that this kind of stuff is going to be great for the four chapters that you're running when you're at Strixhaven, but what the hell are these characters going to do when they're not at Strixhaven anymore? I think that this book is geared at bringing in new players to the game, which is obviously a good thing. Mm, I think that this book is also teaching those players to become the characters that do what their character would do in any given situation. I think that they have that atmosphere to them, to the character options that they're giving them and the character directions that they're sending them. And so I think if you bring new players in and for the first eight levels of that character, they get used to being the characters that do what my character would do in not always a positive sense, I think that's going to be a problematic reprogramming that they're going to need to go through to play anything outside of this book. I'm not sure how that's going to work. I'm not sure how that's going to translate so to their
2: I, to their gameplay, I remember saying that in our pre-discussion, but I'm not. I don't specifically when I was reading it remember picking up that piece. So that it was. So let me.
0: Yeah, I, let me, I, That did, it was going to teach
2: people to to be the guy who says I'm going to rob the entire party and run off in the middle of the night because that's what my character would do. Extreme so example, I know, but
0: yeah,
1: I I looked at it and I said this is an issue where I think the characters are going to be. I say high schoolers, but any young person in a college environment where you're going to get in trouble, you might get your hand slapped, but basically you get to run roughshod until much later when real consequences happen. And I think that may possibly not be the best thing for the game. It is a way to intro people into the game, but even the way they list things, when they're talking about how to build a strict saving party, they just say, Drum, if you have a Magic card deck from Strixhaven, pick one of the cards. If you like it, build that character. They are making; they are just as Josh said. This is a way to bring players, specifically from the Magic world, in. And I think they actually do that a little bit better in this than they did in Theros, mind you. But Theros fit regular D anD D better because of the way it was, and it, there's just some differences there. And I, so I think it was a, a design choice that may not be built. For me, I'm not trying to be a grognard and say, if it's not built for me, it sucks. That's not what I'm trying to say, but I do think I have to acknowledge my own bias. This would not be a particular place. I, at least what it's alluding to that fits me, which is why I have to look at it and find the things that I think are cool and find ways to take them out. So to Josh's point, can you take these things out? I could put a school there. Like if I had a player who said, I want to play something from this and could you put a college like this in your game world? Probably yes. Am I ever going to have my players go to that thing? Probably no. But if a player wants to play somebody who came from that, I could make that work.
2: You're right. There's a lot that can come out of it. I have a Bardic college that I'm currently designing that huge amounts of legwork for trying to design the way a university yep. may run in a D&D setting has been done for me. But Trying oh, yeah. to run actually Strixhaven, unless I was running this very specific module, It'd be real. It, I'd be hard pressed to bring Strixhaven.
1: I was hoping this would be built in such a way that it's more than just magic users. Other classes would be here. That oh, okay, so maybe I can take things from this and make a military academy and do something like that. And unfortunately, I'm not seeing that as easily. That's yeah. going to be a down the road, maybe it's going to have to be a strictly TTJ thing or whatever, but yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's not all here beyond one thing that I thought was exceptionally useful and cool. The idea of the instructors, professors, and professors emeritus and the way that was done, I thought, look, really brilliant. I can attach tiers and coolness to that, that mm-hmm. I will absolutely be able to use in other venues. And I really think that's, a, that's something to look forward to.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I wanted to point out, and and maybe you guys can talk me off the ledge on this a little bit here. <laughs> I've been teetering on that ledge with you a lot, it seems. Glenn, you made allusions to the Biblioplex earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought the campus overview was full of bad choices. I'll just lay it right out there. Like the Biblioplex is a library, okay? Mm-hmm. And maybe this is my super protective book hoarding nature, but having a library with rooms that are so big that they have their own weather systems mm-hmm. and pools uh, and moat
2: passages crossable
0: only like those really well with last, books too. like if you've got a thousand year old magic tome yeah. from supremo the wizard the last thing that you want to have to do is cross a moat to get it to the checkout counter so you can read it, oh, like, it
2: that's, the
0: but like that's the whole point is that like like Less those respect. are bad those are bad structural choices if you're building a library right like that's like Water and books don't mix. And so it just seems like – it, it seems like one of those things that someone at like 11 o'clock at night was like writing a chapter. Like, huh, oh, that would be cool if there was a moat. I'm going to put a moat in there. And then nobody actually went back and said, you know what? That's a dumb idea. Take that out. <laughs> right. You know? It needs a drawbridge.
2: Um, no, put it in a drawbridge.
0: Yeah. You know? A oh, nice you can't work.
2: have a moat without a drawbridge. That's just
0: you not us, Right. Like, the, the other thing, like, there's something else in here, too, that, like, like they talked about the, the five lines of beacon towers that radiate from the biblioplex, and mm. they mention about how they stretch out to the five campuses. That's cool. And then they mention how they stretch out for hundreds of miles past the end of the campuses to go ahead and represent the, the what was it, the, uh, the hundreds of miles of into the surrounding countryside. Yeah. It's like, again, sounds really cool, but... Is it actually? Is that actually cool? A mile line of tall of pillars full of light? Yeah. Like, is well, that actually
1: yeah. cool? <laughs>
2: if you want to find Strixhaven, you just find one of those pillars. And as long as you turn in the correct direction, <sighs> I suppose... you'll either run to the end of the line or you'll run into Strixhaven, right?
0: <laughs> exactly, right? <It's> like... <laughs> I wonder
1: if a lot Round of that is design that choices and writing the book and things that just appeared in the magic card set. Like right. I don't collect. Oh, that's magic. fair. So I, I it didn't is do strict possible magic that it's either. all part of that, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hobby shame somebody else's hobby. Magic is not my. Per- I play it. I love the game from a game standpoint. I don't collect it. I don't buy cards or new cards. Yep. I am playing the same cards. So it's like we have. I have old cards. A lot. They're dog-eared. They're beaten up. They're but I, and I enjoy playing them. I play them with, I play magic with my kids, my oldest and my youngest both play. It's just something I do from time to time. It's, I don't want to watch TV. We'll put on something nice on uh, Pandora while I put on some old 80s rock while I'm, while we're goofing around playing some magic uh, on a Saturday afternoon. Yep. So I'm not into magic that way. But if someone is buying this set and they love that artwork, if they love the story that is coming out of these new card sets, I could get that. I I mean, I envision something like you're describing to be, there's a card for that. There's a set of abilities or some series of cards that create that, and that's why it's in the book. So I do think things like the moat, things like that, are probably coming from design choices that came from the Magic set. They're just trying to find ways to build
0: into the game. Listeners out there who do play magic, and someone who wants to come on and tell us what it is that we're missing about this and why these are why the what are the what are we missing from this book? You know, please consider this in your invitation. Drop us a line, we'll go ahead and talk. I want
1: this book to be better than I currently think it is, so please fill us in on that. Love to hear it. That would make more sense, and it would definitely make this much better for the setting. Yep. If you're playing this setting beyond this adventure. So if a DM yep. plays this setting and then says, my characters are going out into this world, then those things could be important. Those could be ways to advance beyond maybe a town forms near one of these towers or something. And that's the place where the characters now call home. You know, yep. I think I can think there's ways to do things like that, that could work if you're staying in this realm, but none of the three of us are playing in this realm.
0: Let's talk about the college sub chapters of uh, of chapter one here. Let's just go in, in order here. Glenn, what do you think about the lorehold chapter here?
2: As it goes in and starts breaking down each of the individual colleges, I did enjoy uh, that little glimpse into what the college was like. And I'm yep. not gonna beat a dead horse. <laughs> but, but I think I am little glimpse say is
0: inappropriate.
2: <laughs> that they don't give us enough information, so it is a little glimpse. And I'm going to actually leave the College of Warhold for the example that I wrote down. And I'll just give yep. one example of this. But some of the locations that they're describing, I mean, it's cool that you got them. You got a campus. The campus is going to have interesting locations. And, and some of them are really neat, like the Jolt Cafe. I mean, that yeah. really said college campus to me. Yeah. But then a Taurus Hall and the the central hall of Quandrix campus lies at the end of a geometric series of walkways terminating at ascending ramps. To the towering building. Inside, Taurus Hall's architecture is mapped in an ever-changing three-dimensional grid, which slowly evolves. Some Quandrix faculty members insist that MAGE students shouldn't linger too long inside the hall, lest its geometry eventually turn itself inside out while the students are still within it. Yeah, that's a whole bunch of words that tell me not a goddamn thing (laughs) about Taurus Hall. And that seems to be the language of choice in a lot of the things. I know they're trying to describe something fantastical, but they're trying to do it in such a minute amount of language.
0: What is Taurus Hall? Like, is Taurus Hall classrooms? Is Taurus Hall- It's a Hall really big building with residence? a bunch of spindly
2: walkways.
0: Is it residence halls? Like, it's a big building that you shouldn't go in.
2: Like, and that's- And inside, it's like M.C. You know, Escher, and eventually the waterfalls are going to close in on top yeah. of you and
0: squash you, I guess, but- I, Right, I guess. I felt the same way, actually, when talking about Quandrix, I felt the whole, the, the same thing about the, the fractal bloom creature equation that students generated.
2: I- I've got a bunch of them. <laughs> I,
0: I read that little blue box. I, like, I'm, like, okay. I'm a smart guy, right? Like, at the end of the day, I feel pretty comfortable saying I'm a smart guy. (coughs) Like, I have studied calculus. I Mm -hmm. have studied physics. I have done some serious academic work, and I feel pretty comfortable doing deep academic research
2: in English. I have no idea what the is in that blue box. Can I give you my my exact notes on that exact thing? Yes, please. Yeah. WTF, did I just read, question, exclamation, question?
0: No idea. (laughs) So, LeWanika, please show us the way the truth.
1: If you've ever been in a situation where you're dealing with a person who's armed with crib notes, or worse yet, some kind of uh, book for dummies on a given topic, but they're going to talk to you like they're a professor, because they know a couple of the big words, but they actually don't know how they go together, that's what this is. Yeah. This is somebody who is writing the words to sound smarter than they actually it really are. is. Yeah. By- like Josh, feel fairly decent about saying, I'm not dumb, I'm, I'm okay, smart, but yeah. I don't understand fractal equations. I don't get that in my head. I'm not good at that, right? So, if I am going to write that, I am going to call various friends. I'm going to call a buddy of mine from high school. I'm going to call various people I know in or out of the gaming community. If I'm talking about engineering, I'm going to talk to friends of mine who are engineers. If I'm talking about legal stuff, I'm going to talk to friends of mine that are lawyers. If I'm going to talk to about programming stuff, I'm going to call Josh. I'm going to call people I know that do programming and say, I've got a story. I'm building this. I need you to give me the information to write smart about this piece. And then they're going to write that. And then I'm going to flower the language. But it's going to be them. So whatever I'm writing actually makes sense. A great example of this is the Big Bang Theory. They hired scientists to write all of the equations that were on the whiteboard that was in that apartment for all 10 of those or 10 plus, 12 plus seasons of that show. Why? Because they wanted the science to be accurate. They purposely said. None of us as comedy writers know this stuff. So we're not going to write that piece of it. And I look at something like this and I say, that's what I think they're doing. They're actually saying, these are all the right words to somebody who doesn't know this either. This is going to sound really epic and cool to somebody who knows some of this stuff. I don't even know all of it. I'm still saying, but what does that really mean? And I think this is the gap that we are frustrated with because we know just enough to know, that don't to quote my friends back in the woods of tioga county where i you spent a lot of my youth that dog
0: won't hunt yeah (laughs) and that's yeah that
2: long-winded reason all of the reasons for why we're not going to talk about it negatively but we have to because uh, yeah after all of that yeah after all that let me tell you what i like the most about the individual colleges I absolutely love the fact that in the principle of polarities, each college has two opposing principles. Yep. And it also has two deans. Each college has a dean that represents one aspect and a dean that represents the other. And they're constantly arguing and in debate. (laughs) And the students are expected to learn to think for themselves about the middle ground. I love that concept. Yeah.
1: And that is one of the most important life lessons anybody can ever learn. Don't go with what other people think, figure out how to talk about things and then make up your own mind with facts and information informed by your experiences. Yep. And I think they did a great job of experience of that. So where they had failings and they had gap, this was done very well. It was brilliant.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I thought that for the most part in the in the college descriptions, the characteristics that they chose for the individual colleges, I thought were very well thought out and very appropriate. I mean, I can tell you based on my own history for Prismari. Using the dichotomy of perfection and expression, I thought was really on point, absolutely fabulous, and so very much kudos to them for kind of for keying in on that and realizing that. you know I'm not There's sure a lot
2: of art, whether it's music or any other form, just cannot exist without both.
0: Lou and Nico, what else did you like about the college sections of chapter one here?
1: You and Glenn talked about the fact that the two opposing deans were really cool in concept. I liked what they had. I took. Brief snapshot glimpses at the character information that came up with each of them. And I'm like, okay, these are pretty cool. And I thought they were neat things that I could bring in at different points. Like I said, colleges and games make sense. So these are stat blocks that I could replicate, even if I assigned them to slightly different characters. I liked the named character. I don't know if I'd necessarily use 100% of, of their things, but I thought they were decent to work with. Those are resources that I can use. I use D&D Beyond. I use Encounter Builders. You're not necessarily going to fight them. But again, if I'm building something and I need something built out or I need to grab something really quick on the fly, people are looking down, they go into the library, I need so, or they go into the school there or whatever. I've got a character I can work with. I thought those were very functional and useful for me as a storyteller and putting more tools in my toolbox
0: do you want early access to every tabletop journeys episode how about exclusive content live broadcasts and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans or heck do you just want to support the show join our patreon today at www.patreon.com slash TT Journeys. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, or you can make a one-time contribution to the cause. We love doing this show for y'all, and support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. So join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. So let's move on to, to chapter two here, the character options portion. And now, Luanika, I know you have been waiting to talk about the uh, first big reveal in the character options portion of this book. I, I, I have a sense that you have been uh, just chomping at the bit for at least 15 minutes to go ahead and talk about this particular thing, the Owlin. Tell us Ooh. what your take on Ooh. the exactly. Tell us your take on how the Owlin appeared in finally it's uh it's Canon form. I've been waiting for two
1: books for this, for this lineage option, this character r- race. I love the Owlin in, in the UA. That was amazing. One of my favorite characters I built in 2021 was an Owlin character. A lot more on that to come in 2022. That said, I've been waiting for this to be an official part of D&D, and I I still love it. I think it's really well built. I think there, I love the fact that stealth is built in. Flight is never a bad thing. Who doesn't have dark vision? Everybody has dark vision. However, the Allen have it at 120 feet. That's better than almost every every character or racial option in the game. Speed at 30 is pretty normal. You have a lot of choice, size-wise, small, medium. It's solid built. It's just solid built.
0: I will say that there are two things that they took out from its UA version, and I'm not sure how they feel. I'm not sure how I feel about them, how the exclusions, to be honest. The first one is that they took out um, Magic Sight. Your keen senses can focus to see the presence of magic. You gain the ability to cast Detect Magic, but only as a ritual, right? Basically,
2: one of the characteristics. I was fine with the loss of that one because I looked at these up two.
0: yeah, exactly. I think that that's fine. And then Nimble Flight, thanks to your wings, you have a flying speed equal to your walking speed. When you fall, you can use your reaction to make a dexterity saving throw to stop falling and fly in place until the start of your next turn. I, I guess I'm not sure if... um I'm trying to think how to phrase this. Why would they take that out? Like, Because you're a bird. You can fly... <laughs> Like, why would they take out your ability to go ahead and fly if you're falling? Like, I don't,
2: I guess, I guess. I bet. Uh, so- it's because every DM out there that responded to the survey said, dude, if I have a winged character that flies all the time, I already give them a save to recover from falling.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. It may have just been superfluous. Yeah.
2: I, I think it's superfluous. I thought it was yep. when they put it in there, too. I'm like, why wouldn't any? Maybe the yep. DC-10 being low because it would qualify for a nimble flight. And if somebody who was, say, an Aracoca, that was knocked out of the air and falling, they'd have a higher DC. Yep.
1: I, I, I actually took think it it's more mechanical than that. Proficiency in stealth is hot, right? Dark vision at 120 feet, that's powerful. Not everybody plays light, dark very well, but the fact that it's 120 feet is a lot.
2: Yeah, it's, um, that's a long range. To that, see.
1: that range is, pretty, is yeah. pretty impressive, right? It used, to be, it used 90, to be 90, by the way. Feet. Yeah, 90, that, got, yeah. that got
2: moved up. That was that yeah. was beefed.
1: I think it's mechanical because unfortunately, there are a lot of abilities that create situations like falling, what have you. And I think we noticed it in the UA when they were talking about the Hadozi also. There's some nuances and some interactions. I am not currently well-versed in, in the mechanics of this, but I think there's a mechanics with fall lore or falling damage that would make that almost like an additional power and people may DMT out a lot of things, but I think that's why it came out. I think it came out because it basically said you can't take falling damage. And uh, I mean, in effect or limited to that. And I think there are abilities and things and spells and things that would like, for instance, if you're flying and you're immobilized or you're restrained, in any of those conditions, if those things happen, you fall and you're supposed to take your damage at the, in that round. And if you have that ability, you're not taking damage in that round. And I think that's where it came out. It was a decision of we can't give this single lineage three ridiculous powers and all of the stat bonuses because everybody gets stat bonuses now. If we were building this in the old style, you would say this is, he's only getting a plus one to one thing. And then you could drop on the powers, right? Mm -hmm. But everybody's getting two and one or three ones and all of this. And I think it's just too much. I liked it, and I think it'd be cool. I think the answer is make that some kind of feat for winged lineages or something, almost like the racial feats. I don't think they're ever going back to that, but that would be my answer. I think there's a place for that, but it needs to have an additional resource cost, and it needs to be a big one because of what it eliminates. However, unless you're playing at a table that creates a dynamic combat encounter scenes heights distances falling all of those types of thing why would you even take the feet but if you're playing in that kind of campaign then it is absolutely the thing that would work and be very cool for you okay okay
2: yeah. i mean so there's still I, I think there's still just a very cool race I and mean, we're talking about the difference name yeah. changed used to be owl folk now it's owl len what do y'all yep. think I mean, I think that that, doesn't bug, that doesn't bug me,
0: me as much as it did with the herring gone. Exactly. I was just gonna say the same thing. Yeah, it didn't doesn't bug me as much as that. Yeah. I actually like owl
2: and better. I think than owl folk a little bit more. It's a little bit more culturally elegant. specific as opposed to just the generic word folk yeah. with the word owl.
1: And it also seems more elegant. It seems more reserved. I see these. I don't see them rustic. And I, you can build any character or lineage race in any situation you want. You can make them be peasant folk from the from the hills, just as easy as anybody else. But I, I do see, like, the pictures we've seen in this book, the in being well-dressed, well, apportioned with all the accoutrement of having some, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sais, canache uh, style? Canache, yeah. some style. Yeah, that, There's I, something I definitely about know that's that seems a little more them. elegant than They can folk. be both.
2: Yep. And it, later... Okay. In the NPCs as they present to help fill out the classmates and whatnot to bring it out, there's an owl in NPC, I don't know, rough looking <laughs> as opposed to yeah. being all elegant. So this is the last change that I found really interesting. Because this was added to it. It didn't, it was not there before. You cannot use your flying speed in medium or heavy armor. I like that. I do too, oh. but that's a limitation on flight that I haven't seen. And, and there are a few that
1: are do say heavy, medium. I don't see often. That
2: does say you can
1: have this thing, but I like that a lot.
2: And how could you be a stealthy owl flying around on silent feathers In chainmail?
0: <laughs> and chainmail, <laughs> <We're> full flight. <laughs> <point. laughs> if anybody
2: could have
1: seen that, I was
2: flapping my arms.
0: But yes. um, it was
2: very entertaining because <laughs> i could see it i'm cool with that yeah, it, it makes total sense and i like it, it but i yep. thought it was interesting that they they specifically thought to add it and it makes total sense for a stealth flyer yeah i i have a sense we may
1: see something like that when they start redoing all the options in the new book in the new uh, uh, as well i have a yep. sense we're going to see little changes like
2: that happen to balance out that because that falling it, flight rule might be becoming part of that
0: Yep. Yep. Okay. So, Mr. Miller, you are the resident background expert. I wrote a single word note about the backgrounds here. I want to see what your thoughts are on the backgrounds. Well,
1: how'd you? Yes, feel? I want to trail on this one. I want to hear you, what you guys thought first.
0: I'll share my one word response to the five backgrounds.
2: For more words than Josh. So, uh, this, okay, this I, works. I
0: just wrote one repetitive these okay. are five different backgrounds they're one background
2: they are absolutely one background yep it's literally and that's that's the extent of my feedback on and each of the backgrounds all individually reference the application of the on, one of the only two feats in the book and the yep. feet is also repetitive. It's also repetitive. So and weak sauce. literally it's five times of writing the same thing. Yeah. My notes on it were backgrounds meh to weak sauce at best. Yep. Um because it's little it is literally the same thing over and over again. Yep. And I mean, yeah, all right, your skills change a little bit and those are reflective of the different colleges. But yep. overall I'm, I'm, Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I'm gonna say they they chose to rewrite the classes that were in the UA. And this is what we got instead.
2: Uh, so, so be, yeah. except yeah. the except for the race and some of the spells. I don't think that there's much in this chapter. I'm going to be honest.
0: Yeah, I I wasn't crazy about the magical items either. So, so now that
1: you guys have said your said your piece, let me drop in.
2: What if I was
0: the
1: number one criticism I heard about the backgrounds was the fact that it was going to be so much more powerful than any other background to ever exist in the history of 5e backgrounds. And I think that's abject poppycock. Like, I, <laughs> They're not that strong. No, it's poppycock. They're, they're you're absolutely right. Does it give the effect of having an extra feet and throw some extra things? Yes. Could it be used if you're min-maxing or optimizing a character to great effect? Yes. Does that make it Absurdly, you're insanely more powerful. No, no, why? Because we have very fluid character creation in general. So you're able to do a lot of these things anyway. And a few times you're not mm, throwing four fighter levels, and you got the extra feet you need anyway. So it's just not that big a deal. The problems that I heard prior to this podcast are not that big a deal. The things you mentioned, I think, are a bigger deal. And you're right, it is extremely repetitive. They did not need to write all these backgrounds. They needed one background that said, with a little chart, change these skills for these this college, and everybody then gets this done. Yeah. Strict
2: saving I mean, initiate.
1: Yeah. Strict and saving then- initiate is <clears> the background. <throat> and you just have a chart that says, Here are the skills, here's the equipment, because that could change. And then the rest of it, I mean. Two languages of choice. Cool for these. I think they're. I think they're neat. I think for. But I just don't think anybody's is great. I think okay. the only thing that really needed to happen, uh, and and that did happen, is you get mildly different personality trait for each college. And I think yeah, those were that. Well. Those are useful. Those are very useful in separating your character. So no. I think a chart with those things, you're different personality trait things are are good, but it's one background to to Glenn's point. To pretend it's more than that is foolishness. Um, But I don't think it's overly powerful. I think it's okay. I can envision doing something like this. If somebody says, I want to have been to a magic college or whatever, and this is what I'm building, or my parents were teachers at a magic college, but I'm a fighter and I've never been anything but, and I'm the brother that didn't measure up to the rest of the family. I would say that this background would rock for that, right? There are ways to use this background that I could think. So, I would anybody playing at my table, any Patreons who are going to be playing in games I run, feel free to use these backgrounds. You'll get no shade from me. I think it's okay. It's not bad, it's good
0: stuff. For the sake of writing five identical backgrounds, they missed an opportunity to include a really cool background that I wish that they had. And that is, if you go all the way back to the beginning of chapter one, when they're talking about the faculty at the college, one of the things that they mention about the instructors is that at the end of a provisional period, which can last from one to several years, an instructor is elevated to the rank of professor or let go. Having a background that is a failed instructor or a fired instructor, mm. or a, but you know what that would have done, and that, that the reason why it, it pisses me right off, I think that they know that they wanted to go ahead and do that because they alluded to it in the book. What that would have done is that would have given them something that could be played outside of this friggin' campaign, and they weren't going to do it.
1: I would take that to be one, one more, and that would be a not just a faculty member, but how about an expelled student. Yeah. Oh, God.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: But I mean, going back to the lore that they've given us too, I mean, they talk about one of the things that I wrote down that I thought was really neat because they talk a little bit about earlier in the book about what students do after college. And one of the things for the elite is there is an elite group of mages that work with the Founder Dragons called the Dragon's Guard. One of the first things that popped into my head when I was going through the backgrounds like, couldn't they have done something else? Is you could have had a Dragon's Guard squire, somebody who traveled with yeah. them that got them information- oh, That would give them put them in the friends and foes (laughs) chapter. Yeah. Something. But there's a single mention to them. What I was going to say earlier is part of the reason that I think that the I think that the background is weak sauce is because even though you're looking at this whole background that's one and they've written it out five times, it's basically saying that you spent your entire life preparing to get into this college. And that's your yeah. entire background. Like, that's the sum of your existence. You've got nothing else.
1: Yeah, they missed great opportunities here. Background for staff of the college. Like, I want to hear about the lunch ladies. I, I want Boothby. Starfleet Academy had Boothby, right? Where's Ray Walstron in Strixhaven? That's right. what I want.
2: Oh, What well, you want, you want Rudy still like... Living outside the campus, taking classes at a community college while he's working on the thing to make money, trying to get in, and they still haven't even taken him yet. Totally.
0: Yeah. I mean, exactly. Like, like they keep making references to Mage Tower, right? The game. Like, why isn't there a, an athlete scholar background? Why isn't so many things that they could have done if they really wanted to go ahead and make these characters alive, and they chose not to, and that's disappointing.
1: Well, so, I would think that the answer is maybe because again, this is very contained, right? Maybe it shouldn't be a background. Maybe it should be a feat. But why can they have a scholarship athlete like or something like that? Who gets in there on a scholarship? I, and I'm channeling uh, Harry Potter, but somebody played Quidditch so good, maybe that maybe they get in because of that or yeah. something like that.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, they definitely could. And if you go when you get into some of the characters later that y'all haven't read yet there's a little bit of that or even in some of the professors like the treant professor who didn't start yep. out at the college never went to the college she just yeah. happened to save S- some people in the in woods walked up <laughs> she knew so much they're like dude you want a job yeah and so she stayed yeah
0: nothing super bowled me over in the spells or the magic items i thought uh, well, i have something
2: to say about the spells
0: about about anything in particular?
2: Uh huh. Okay, it's the spell Silvery Barb's. That spell should yeah. never have made it into print.
0: Absolutely not. It's it's it is way too powerful for a first level spell. Way too powerful for. a have to. I mean, we, we, have
2: to, I mean th- th- we have to talk about that. I could not allow yeah. that at my table.
0: I mean, that has been criticized since this book has come out. Since that before. in particular has been criticized, uh, and and the criticism is absolutely fair. That spell as a first level spell. Is ridiculous.
2: Yeah. First level spell, no save. I mean, I could cast it and make a dra- and give a an ancient dragon disadvantage. Yeah. Make him miss a save. It's crazy.
0: And you so it's and it's not even that. It's so not only does your ancient dragon have disadvantage on minute. this round, but then I can go ahead and give advantage to somebody else.
2: Right. That they can use at oh. any point of their choice within the next minute.
0: Goodness. Yeah. Right? I mean, oh my goodness.
2: I mean, like, do you need what? if you're if you and your party, even if you're a high enough level wizard that you got other spells available, do you need, really need anything else? If you can on every round Give the dragon disadvantage when he attacks and then give a different party member advantage that they can choose oh whenever God. they want to in the next minute. Just keep casting that over and you'll be over and over
0: again. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous. This is... Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. I, I I mean and that's the problem,
2: is that it just The rest of them are pretty decent. The rest of, it's just this one. I have no idea how it got out like
0: this. They yeah, were it's looking it's a... for
1: something to rival Eldridge Blast as the go to spell for all time
0: and creation. Maybe, I guess, but holy crap, like, wow. But at you least
1: glass is a roll to hit.
2: <laughs> I straight up liked as an example, just to give a positive one. I straight up liked borrowed knowledge. I think that's the yeah. best incarnation of borrow a skill I've seen them put out yet, because now yep. it's at least divination Agreed. magic.
0: Agreed. I think that the overall thing that I can take from a lot of this is that there just doesn't seem to have been an awful lot of care in how they put this together, right? Like that's – when we talked about the Splinterverse books with Jimmy, what's the one thing that we loved about those books so much? The content was great, but it was how much care and how much thought they put into the stuff that they were putting out there. Like, okay, here's the thing. Like, they give you a list of magic items that you can buy at the college. What's one of the magic items that you can buy at the college? An unnamed plus one weapon. Like, why? You're at college. Well, not only are you at college, but for God's sakes, I'm at the number one music academy in all of the multiverse, and the most creative thing for a plus one weapon that you can give me is the fact that I can buy a plus one weapon. Like, that's it?
2: I look at this chart, and I say, my goodness, find a plus one weapon, we're selling that (coughs) so that we can buy three bottles of boundless coffee. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah, which is a cool college yeah. magic item, but the magic items that are in here in terms of calling the magic items, they're neat except for the magic, except for the weapon. They're neat, and they got a little bit of a benefit, a couple of them, like the primer is interesting, but for the most part they're, they're flavor, and
1: the yeah. flavor's not bad. I would say this, I really like the spell Kinetic Jump, I thought that was a decent second level spell. I could see it.
2: I did that. too.
0: I thought that was yep. decent. Yeah, I like. I thought that. Wither and Bloom was overly complicated. Like, it, it, it wasn't even so much like the spell itself, but like the overcasting about how if you're casting at a higher than third level, you get this effect, and if you're hiring, if you're casting it over second level, you get this standardized. Make it simpler. Like, can, can Johns between... is
2: similar to Zephyr Strike, yeah. by the way. It's just, yep, one level spell different. Uh, yeah. You get a few more things from it, but yeah, you get the plus ten to move and stuff. I thought that yep. was a hot spell. And Sorry, I like the fact it. that
1: it was an artificer. It made the artificer list. I could see Sprocket with that. I I like their choices for where that spell could land. I am, to hearken back to our conversation with uh, Splinterverse, not as upset by how little was effective for Warlocks or usable by Warlocks, because I get that now. They made sense to me. If you haven't heard that part of that episode, please do. The second episode interview we did, we talked about why so few new things come out for Warlocks and it's a design choice based on the strength of the warlock class and what you have to bring to the table in order to replace what few spells the warlock already gets. So I get why that doesn't happen <laughs> terribly often. And, and so I'm okay with this list not having a lot for the, for the warlock.
0: Let's get into what I think is probably the strongest chapter that we're going to talk about tonight, and that's the Friends and Foes, Chapter 7, at the end of the book. I thought that there were some really neat things here, and honestly, I think that there were a lot of questions that kind of came up at the beginning of the book that were answered by this chapter. Liwanika, why don't you talk about the big flaw that you and I talked about this morning about the dragons in particular? Yeah. so...
1: Reading the opening, chap- the, the opening chapters, the one thing I really liked was the fact that this was a college founded by dragons. I love dragons. It's been well documented. I've spoken about it at great length, so I loved that. Then when I'm reading this on d and Beyond, when I hover over the link to get a look at the dragons, I noticed they did not tell me if they were chromatic, metallic, or uh, gem dragons. And I thought that was odd, and I thought maybe I was missing something. So then I looked at the actual stat blocks, and I didn't see it there. And I looked around, and, and I t- tossed this around in my head, like, why am I not seeing what kind of dragons these are? And then on my drive to work, I was talking with Josh, and it dawned on me that this is from sort of Magic the Gathering setting. They don't yeah. have the three types of dragons in Magic the Gathering, so these are just dragons. And that's where another one of these gaps showed up for me.
2: Yeah, particularly... This book- was following in, the dragon book.
1: Right. This book was in production and almost done when the dragon book came out. Why they didn't have the stat block for genera dragon, for lack of a better term, I don't know. Why they didn't have, especially since they also know we're about to build a multiverse, why didn't they have a stat block for bestial non sentient dragon? Yeah. As an option for people to have in various game worlds. If they had something like those two things as just stat bots, they didn't need to have them at all levels. They, they didn't need the wormling, and they didn't need uh, the Ancient or, or all the options, but it would have been nice to have at least had the Adult or possibly the Ancient just so we could yeah. see that. And then this would have made much more sense because yeah. I was perplexed. It stopped my reading. When I was reading this, because yeah. it just didn't connect in my head, and so when we get to them, first of all, the dragons themselves, as stat blocks, as characters, are very cool.
0: I they're, absolutely they like are them. badass. They are they're, badass. They're, yeah. They
1: are exceptional. I am not saying there's anything wrong with them. The gap comes in is that they're not well centered in this multiverse that is being built, and I don't exactly. think, and it leaves me with a gap that's a little harder for me to wrap my head around. Uh, and that's just a thing, but very cool. I yep. loved their breath weapons. I thought they were very neat. I'm down with cool breath weapons that are not just the elemental fires. I love yep. those too. but I'm down with doing things a little differently, yep. and I thought that was really brilliant. Yep. Can you imagine not being called to the dean's office, but actually being in a college like this and screwing up bad enough that you go see the founders?
0: Oh God, Oopsie. I can only imagine. Like, yeah, those breath weapon actions are are no joke for all of these gargantuan dragons. They are no friggin' joke or power. I and I really thought it 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 really supported the lore that they are like these exceptional beasts that have started this. I I thought that was very well done. Yep, totally agree.
1: Uh, and by the way, Con- Quandrix, his or uh, uh, their breath weapon, dude, don't
0: even. Just let's see. Hold on, one out. Which one? Because there was one that there were, there were two dragons that were back and forth. Oh, uh, so, yeah, Quandrix. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, give me nation breath. What was, yeah. One of, what's funny f- is that? 90
1: foot cone, DC 23 constitution save. Uh, creature takes 45 or 13d6 force damage and 45 13d6 psychic damage.
0: Yeah, that's, so that's okay. So if you look at the page... So you've got Lorehold, who's on the opposite page of them, right? So I, I saw Quandrix, and I was like, whoa! And that's what I wrote down on my notepad, because that's killer, right? And then you look at Lorehold. What's Lorehold? It's also a 90-foot cone. It's a DC 25 constitution save. It's also 90 points of damage, and the creature gets tw- gets pushed 20 feet in any direction that the, that the dragon wants. So... Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I yeah, yeah. I yeah. the condition
1: piece for Quandrix. For Quandrix, yeah. They then have... Dis- and then, while we get damn near everything you could ever need in a fight, like yeah. you don't fight
0: these, just no, no, don't. no. I mean, they're brutal. Th- these are campaign enders. Yeah, absolutely. And- Having to fight all five of them, like, oh. To be fair, I could actually
1: envision. This is the one thing I couldn't really envision. I could imagine a campaign that the goal is to unite a force, and then, or, or a, like, there's a force of dragons that are out there trying to stop their echoes or stop a group of dragon echoes from taking over. Maybe those echoes have convinced these dragons to do something different or you're fighting the echoes of these dragons. That would be awesome. Like you don't ever want to fight these guys. They're not evil. Right. But if these guys, you were dealing with their echoes in some other campaign world, some other interplanetary universe. And that would be.
0: Some like mirror universe version of these dragons. I'm thinking like Jet the one
2: right dude as soon as you start talking about echoes when you're going through the multiverse and stuff with dragons and fizz bands i kept going to Jetly in the one yeah
1: yeah because first of all taking two motorcycles and slapping a dude is
0: awesome
2: (laughs) 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 go grant you a a dragon could do that with like two seat buses
0: yeah all right let's uh, let's try to wrap this up here tonight because uh man we've gone for a long time on this book here i think the best way that I can sum up my feelings on this book, there are missed opportunities. There are things that we, it's, I'm going to say it's like the wild beyond the witch light. We wished that they did things differently than they chose to. And why they chose to do things the way that they did is a mystery, but... I think that there are opportunities that they missed here. And so as a fan of Wizards of the Coast and Dungeons & Dragons book, I weep. As a content creator, I celebrate. So,
1: Yeah, um, I I would follow that by saying, man, there were so many things I wanted in this that weren't there. But there were some things that are great. The friends and foes section.
0: I am going to use a lot. I wish I'd had some of those creatures for the swamp game that I ran on Sunday. Absolutely! Oh, some of those swamp creatures were awesome. <laughs> well, uh, I'm just no, thinking. The, the just
2: creatures to populate, really are really were the best part.
1: Just to populate your town, the first year students with that special ability. Excited to be here. They have advantage on initiative roles. That's. True. <laughs> I think there are things like that need to happen more often. I think yep. we need to have more things like that. The mascots were neat. Like I said, I was very very pleased with. A few sections of this book, and there are definitely things I am going to be using a lot. So
0: I do feel like things like the giant sloth, when they say that they move ponderously slow, uh, right, or, or excruciatingly slow, and then you look at their speed, and their speed is 20 feet. It's like, that's come on. That's not excruciatingly slow. Like, if everything else moves at 30 and these things move at 20, that's not ex- excruciatingly slow. Is like that's excru- five, yeah, right? So is I, slow. I, like,
2: five is excruciating, is excruciatingly
0: slow, slow right? Like, so, so I think again, like <clears throat> missed opportunities like that for a creature that is known to be excruciatingly slow, giving in a speed that's 10 feet less per round. Like, eh, that's not yeah. excruciating. So, just missed opportunities. Like, some things that they could have. It's a good average book,
2: it's nothing extraordinary. Overall, as a book, definitely, it's not, you know, it's not nothing. It's got good quality content and it's got some really awesome concepts that we can dress up and re-spin and put into our own worlds. And as Josh said, their miss on the front half is a creator, is possibly a content creator celebration. Maybe at some point we'll have the opportunity to design some stuff to help flesh it out. Maybe. Who knows? Stranger things have happened, right? So, Uh,
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, by the way, mages with over 100
1: hit points. Come on now. (laughs) Come on now. Yeah,
0: yeah. All right. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening to the episode. We're going to be back talking more Strixhaven. Hopefully see more things that we like in chapters three through six when we dive into the quest portion of the Strixhaven book. I will be honest, I have not read it yet. So a gentleman, I will say I am hopeful that Maybe some of the things that we have seen as being too superficial in the chapters that we did cover, maybe these questions will be answered when we actually dive into the quest material. As I did
2: read just that beginning, beginning part before the first adventure for how some of the social structure and stuff works, I will say it is neat just as a little teasy preview, but it could be cumbersome also. Mm -hmm. depends on whether or not you want to keep track of it. And they say that too. It's optional. It's up to you and your players and you can set it up so that you could do it for some and not for all. So it's got options. Okay, so I'm hopeful. The little bit that yep. I read makes me hopeful as I move into the next sections. Okay,
0: I think that is uh, hopeful is probably the best thing that we can that we can say at this point. So, all Indeed. right, gentlemen, thank you very much for your time this evening. We will talk again soon, and thank you everybody for listening. Uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Till then, have a good week. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. You can join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast.
2: And make sure you join our growing online community. You can follow us on Twitter at TT Journeys and join us on Facebook just by searching Tabletop Journeys there. You can also reach us by email at podcast at and if you want to catch early access to our episodes and some of the other benefits we have coming down the pipeline, you can also support our production at patreon.com slash ttjourneys. If you're
1: listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, Audible, or any other podcast platform, we would really appreciate if you would like and subscribe to the podcast. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays and every Wednesdays. We'll feature our SideQuest series, where we talk about pretty much anything tabletop oriented.
0: Thank you all so much for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler on our path, we bid you shade
1: and sweet water.